What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 7 DFS MVP Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS. As always, with my co-host, Mr. John Daniel, Mr. Pat Corain. How we doing, boys? We are a third of the way through the season. How you doing? How you feeling? Doing good. Yeah. Flying by. Season's flying by. Flying by. Dago, how you doing, bud? Doing well. Holding up. Six teams on by. Didn't feel like it. Uh, fun slate, though. I know everyone looks at it and says it's a disaster. And yeah, it's right. Yeah, you're right. But also the fact that really we only have confidence in one game, one yeah. offense in this entire slate. Those are always fun for tournaments because there are no rules here. Like you can break, yeah. you can break your brain and figure out some fun things on this slate. Yes, I actually love slates like this. Um, we will get into it for sure. Go through. Um, I mean, there's not really too many big games to go over, so we'll be we'll be reaching a little bit, but we'll touch on the ones that we think are the most relevant, as we always do. Uh, as always, guided as much as possible by Pat Corain's Week Seven walkthrough, which you can find on Legendary Upside. Uh, Corain, besides your cover boy this week, um, an interesting note from the walkthrough was uh what you called splash zone targets so you want to talk a little bit about what those are and why you think they're relevant to what we're going to be talking about today yeah so i've been writing about um actually a little bit since last year been writing about these targets that are you know downfield like 10 plus yards downfield over the middle of the field started writing about them because like that's how mike mcdaniel was kind of designing his entire offense and it was kind of relevant um to, to try to figure out like okay why is this like such a such a um really high value way to kind of structure getting your wide receivers the football and have referenced in in this intro this week and in, and in that work uh work that hayden winks did i believe in like january 2020 on these targets being a lot more valuable for fantasy they're you yeah. know like uh a target that's like 10 yards over the middle of the field 10 10 yards downfield and over the middle of the field is worth like two point zero PPR points. If it's along the sidelines, it's only worth like one and a half. And that gap kind of stays consistent and actually grows the deeper downfield you get. Yeah. So I kind of took a stab at calling this part of the field, the splash zone. Cause I was tip sick of writing like downfield, middle 10 plus targets and stuff. Yeah. So I'm just saying like 10 plus yards downfield, middle of the field, calling it the splash zone in the walkthrough. And hopefully that helps people just kind of have like a little handy reference for it. But um, I think it's kind of interesting cause we're, we're, we're talking about when we talk about this, you know, like the most you'll see this at this point in the season is someone with like 14 of these targets mm -hmm. over the whole year. So, you know, one or two targets in a game is going to massively shift the sample. So very small sample size stuff. I think it's generally helpful in helping us understand guys who already we think have valuable roles, like what's going on, like how valuable is this role? We think this guy's role is super valuable. Is he not getting any of these targets? Kind of like Chris Olave. That's like a little bit of a red flag for him. You look at certain guys like, you know, Tyree Kill, and it's like, no, no, no. This is the role. This is the type. So I think it's something around the margins that's helpful. Yeah. Just getting a little bit of a clearer picture of how valuable roles are. But that is something to note. We're, we are talking about pretty small samples, pretty small rate. Like an 8% rate is like nuts, Yeah, you know, for so these targets. If we have um, guys that are big splash zone guys, are, are they going to be called our Shamus? <laughs> can we go with that yeah we can go with that for sure all right all right no um but kidding aside i do think it is it is um a very cool metric and i i do like that concept of separating the um 
sideline targets versus the middle of the field targets. Um, I think you did mention in the write-up, um, you know, we've talked about the prayer yards before and actually mm-hmm. actualizing those air yards and how much we could do it. And even though it is small sample, um, I mean, when we're talking about DFS, specifically GPPs, we are looking for these outlier performances, right? So if we can look for ways to maximize our opportunity for these outlier performances, and we see that they're coming from here, uh, I, I think that is uh, very valuable. Have you thought about at all, be, since the player level is going to be so low, and again, I know you just wrote about this last night, so maybe you haven't, um, you know, like really like ironed everything out about it, but maybe like looking at the team level and which teams are doing this the most and like the Dolphins or maybe like the Rams or something like that, um, and give us an idea of teams we could target, not just the wide receivers. Yeah, no, I think that's a really sharp idea. And I saw in the in the show notes, um, you you'd reference the Rams throwing a bunch of these targets, and I I definitely want to dig into that more because yeah, I mean this is not just happenstance either. Like I, the Dolphins didn't accidentally throw a bunch of middle of the field targets last year. Like it was a known thing that that's how they were attacking. They thought the two uh, you know worked really well for his skill set. It worked really well for their wide receiver skill sets. Um, you know, last night on chip chasing, we we finally banked. Uh, our Thursday night football. I saw that. And it was over a deep over the middle field target that All Christian right. housed, you know? So yeah. he's, I think these teams realize that you can get a guy up to full speed over the middle of the field. I mean, that was kind of like the point of the West Coast offense, right? It's like get the ball in Jerry Rice's hands, like going full speed over the middle yep. field. Absolutely. This is not like a brand new concept. It's more about just us recognizing the value of these targets and the value of these schemes that that you know are trying to get yards after catch deep downfield like Brandon Ayuk has the most of these per game you know like is that surprising you know that Kyle Shanahan's using a, a guy trying to get yards after catch deep downfield like that seems like the whole point of his offense so I think at the team level it probably is a more signal here where you're seeing these teams whether they're ahead of the curve or not on like my guess is a lot of these teams that are ahead of the curve on motion and, you know, being pass first on first down and stuff would be the teams that are also attacking the the high value parts of the field too. Yeah. Super excited to um, follow that as we get more data, as the season goes on. Um, we, as you said, we do have a good sample size. Now it's a reason you waited until week seven to write this. Um, if you guys haven't signed up for the walkthrough yet, there is a link in the YouTube description to sign up for legendary upside. Also, um, if you don't have access to four for four yet, there's a coupon code. Coupon code is YouTube, link there to sign up for 25% off the DFS sub. And of course, if you do that or when you do that, upgrade to the solver optimizer, the best optimizer in the game. Uh, everyone's talking about, you know, the Sims lately. They have been uh, doing really well with their Sims as well. But let's get into this slate. Um, before we get into the g- games, Daigle, you mentioned um, kind of an ugly slate. And if you've been reading articles around the uh, the interwebs or, or even just reading tweets it's very apparent, um, just the eye test, that scores have been down. Scoring has been down. Um, offenses have been struggling. That was reflected in the uh, in the final scores over the past six weeks, um, but now we're seeing it in the projected scores. Uh, the fifth lowest over-under right now since the start of 2013. If we exclude or if we just look at the main slate, it would project as the third lowest over-under slate um, since the start of 13. So going back over a decade, we have very low scores. Um, a lot of backup quarterbacks, bad quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks. Um and on top of that, a condensed slate, lots of bye weeks, lots of injuries, only 10 games. So Daigle, what is your, like, I mean, 
anything you take away, but but especially from the low scoring, quote unquote, ugly slate. Um, what what's unique about a slate like this to you? It's as you mentioned, even the Rams and Steelers, that is the only game on this entire slate where the total has increased. Every mm-hmm. single other one has come down since initially opening. The highest team total, the Chiefs at 26 and a half points, has come down two full points since it initially opened. And yep. that's still the highest team total in the slate. It's miserable out there. Yep. So really, more so on this one since it's so ugly, but I think the theme really, even going back to last week when we had to parse through Deontay Foreman, Raheem Mostert, Kyron Williams. I think it really just comes down to making sure we have the right plays. Like the chalk we're eating is correct. Yeah. Uh, you have to like really force yourself to get off of that. And if you're creating too many narratives just to get off of it, it probably means you're just uh, thinking yourself into a box and you're not mi- making the right play anyhow. And so beyond that, since there is really only one maybe two situations where if they fail, the rest of the slate is open. Those are the situations I like because you're not really worried about anyone else since again, so low team totals, so many ugly situations and environments that we're taking chances here. A lot more comfortable taking those chances too. Yeah. I like what you said about the chalk Um, in, in a DFS AMA on Wednesday that I did, I got questions about good chalk versus bad chalk, how we identify that. And one of the things that I said is, and I wasn't even talking about this slate specifically, um, but it is a really good week to talk about it is that when we are, uh, when we're lacking a lot of obvious good plays players that typically wouldn't be good chalk that aren't in good spots um, that aren't on good teams will get elevated just because we have so few options and that's what we have this week. So I think we are going to run into some spots where we definitely find some very bad chalk just because there aren't that many options. Um, you know, like tight end is always horrible, but running back is pretty bad this week too. So I think that is, a very good point about these shorter slates. We're going to run into some bad shock. You're you're seeing the results of when the 49ers and Dolphins aren't on a slate. Like this is yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I literally have five running backs in my pool. I'm not kidding. And yeah. I don't want to go beyond yep. those five players because there's no reason to. Even someone yep. like Josh Jacobs, like we've tried this. We've seen it now. These 390 touches, he's just wearing it on his bones every single game. 2.9 yards per carry, 90% of the team's backfield touches, and he doesn't end you at all. Like I am not scared of anyone playing Josh Jacobs in tournaments. And so I'm trying to get away from those kinds of players where, like a Saquon Barkley, right? Like someone who gets the touches and you don't care because you're not, even Isaiah Pacheco, I would say, it's a different argument at his salary because it's still very reasonable. But man, spending up for these guys who just don't break you, that's the kind of players I don't want to play, especially well, Rashad where, White might be chalk. I mean, is there a, a better example? Dude, I of can't a believe, example, I can't believe that number. I, I yep. see it too. And it's like, talk about the worst play on the slate. Yep. Rashad yep. White chalk. What? I mean, he needs to be 4k. What are we doing? I mean, we just yeah, have, I mean, yeah, I'm not just that. option. Do you, do you have um, ideas crane on like how you adjust for shorter slates or ugly slates or however you want to, you want to um, spin it? No, this is all, I mean, I just completely agree with just the, the macro sense of what this slate is. And like, I, I use Jared Goff as a cover boy. There's sort of little hints, if apparently was curious of if you can track how much I like the slate. One would be uh, if I've used someone from the four o'clock games, which I did last week. Another is I pick a quarterback. I mean, quarterback, that's not exciting. <laughs> yeah, but it was yeah. this or George Kittle. I was about to bail on this whole slate and just pick George Kittle and the primetime game yeah. and thought that, you know, he, yeah. the, the way the Vikings blitz, I thought set up kind of fun, but no one cares. It's not on the main slate. You got to pick someone on the main yeah. slate. So I picked golf. Cause I think he can have a, a pretty strong 
game against a tough defense. But it's like, hey, yeah. at least I feel good about the player and about his some of his weapons. So that's the way it went there. But, yeah, I mean, I think that some of the chalk here is going to be chalk by necessity. It's just like kind of the least gross type of stuff. And if people are going, you know, like in small field, most of it was like 70%. And I don't think last week, and I don't think we'll get anything like that this week. But even decently chalky guys, you know, among these running backs, they, they don't feel like the type of players that chalk should condense on. So it's, um, it's yeah. also a unique slate in that everyone we're going to play, the or the field is going to play, is in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Like it's the ultimate late swap slate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ravens lines, which we'll talk about. It's getting well, is it because like what are we supposed to have like chalky games and fun stuff the late swap to and from like <laughs> well <laughs> if that's the case because like we know we see all the ownership coming in on uh cardinal seahawks ram steelers is still going a little overlooked which again is is surprising given that that's the only total coming up and like steelers defense has been bad we'll talk about that when we get there yeah. uh packers broncos i think is getting some chalk game options just because they're so cheap and yeah. so like that's where that's where ownership is condensing is to the afternoon, which is fun because then we can have fun in the first slate of games and like get some of these guys who are going to be single digits and then decide what to pivot to from there. Yeah, we have six early games and four late games. Again, only a 10 game slate. Um, it is kind of nice just from a viewing and a, a building perspective that they're split up. Sometimes it's really out of whack um, early versus late slate. Uh and a lot of the uh, most popular plays will be in that late slate. So I, I think the, the thing to note for people that aren't super privy to the, um, the obvious moves when it comes to late swap is kind of the generic idea is you can go pretty contrarian early. And if those contrarian plays hit, you can lean a little bit more into that late chalk and vice versa. Uh, one thing I will say about a slate like this, when we basically only have the chargers and chiefs who is very expensive on top of that, yeah. if, if that misses, then like that's the only thing we we need to miss for our right things to leap the field and the way to take advantage of that even in very large field stuff i think we can lean a lot more into um onslaughts like really big game stacks because if one game hits it's just so much easier with low scoring low projections and only one game expected to go well um in terms of scoring on both sides if you hit right on one or, or two games, it's a lot easier to lap the field than it is on a 13 game slate where there's three teams that are uh, three games projected for 50 points. Um, so again, even on late, um, you know, big, big field stuff, I think it's okay to go pretty heavy on your stacks in cash games where we might not want to play three or four players from the same game because of floor concerns. I think you can do that a little bit more, but let's get into these games. Um, I think that's a really good intro. I'm glad we covered that because I do think it is a really unique slate. Uh, but the big game on the slate, 425, super late window, Chiefs versus the Chargers, uh, 48 point total. You said that's moved a little bit, Daigle. Did that move down? I put this Well, on it opened at 52. Okay, it's yeah, come, yeah. It's come down okay. to 48 gotcha. already. Yeah. yeah, so we're at 48 points, which is still high for this slate. Chiefs yeah. favored by five and a half, 27 point team total. Chargers uh, at 21 and a half. Again, 425 window. Uh, Corrine, start with you on the uh, Chiefs side. Chargers are last in schedule, just a points to quarterback. Um, and this is the only game where both teams are top 10 in both pace and passing rate over expectations. So the obvious question here is, after Mahomes and Kelsey, if we do decide to pay up for them, do you see a third option with the way this Chiefs wide receiver core has been going? I would love for the third option to be Rasheed Rice. Um, he's, you know, 
he's just flashing so much more. We talked about this a few weeks ago where, you know, we look at a target per route run number between Rasheed Rice and Kadarius Tony. They're very similar. Rice is at 30% right now. Tony's at 33%. Those are both excellent. They're both part-time players, but I feel much stronger that Rice is, is more scalable because he's getting a lot of targets, seeing a lot of first read standard classic targets whereas Tony's is being driven more by screens and truly schemed touches. So I think as Rice's role increases, he's more likely to just operate as like a traditional wide receiver and earn targets in the way that we typically talk about that. So I'm so intrigued by him, but do I have any confidence that he's going to be out there for 60, 70, 75% of, of the routes? Like, no, no, I don't. So, and he's more expensive than Tony and the thing with Tony is you do know you're likely to get some scheme targets. So if you're just trying to like punt at the wide receiver position, Tony's almost safer from the floor perspective because you are likely to see some screens and, you know, he's good with the ball in his hands and all that. So I don't feel I really want to say rice, but honestly like salary adjusted and, and not really having that much confidence that rice will be out there a ton more, you know, it's, it's maybe Tony or at least they're kind of in the same ballpark for me. Uh, I wish Pacheco wasn't chalk because I think he's kind of the more interesting way to play it than trying to guess at these wide receivers. But but he is, and it doesn't also feel like that good of chalk to me, given that you know he might be actually like super popular. Yeah. Again, we have um, again as as late as possible four twenty five versus some of these four or five windows to swap and, and and have as much information as as we could possibly have um, to decide exactly what we want to do if we do have a late window swap ability. My uh, instinct says that if I'm going to play Mahomes and Kelsey together, which is already crazy expensive with how chalky they're expected to be. I almost like in every time I build them together, I'm either just going to throw a dart at a chief's third player or like throw in a Gerald Everett or something. If not considering how expensive that combo is, is it almost like if we're going to play this, like if we're not planning on throwing a third dart at a, a chief's player, is it almost better just to like play Kelsey without Mahomes help Kelsey gets there and then just get cheap quarterback elsewhere? Yeah, one of my thoughts was, can I play this from the other side and go Herbert and then bring back Kelsey? But it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. He, the Chiefs' defense is really good. Yep. So that's that. That makes that tough too. But yeah, I don't. I haven't built like that with Kelsey and not Mahomes, so I don't know exactly how it will work out. But I certainly don't mind the idea of it. Plus, it's it's yeah. all plausible. But whenever you start building with Mahomes or even just Kelsey, you're already forcing yourself to lose one of. Diggs or Cooper Cup, and I don't want to do that on this slate. Um, so that that's kind of why I go away from Kelsey and the Chiefs, just because they're so expensive. Yeah, it's it's it is um, just always a conundrum. Like if we're playing Chiefs, at the very least, I, I think you want them at low ownership because that again, that combo of chalk plus high salary is always pretty tough to overcome you really need it to um to really lap the field obviously this is a week where it could happen but you really need it to like lap the field in a huge way you want like a, a mahomes 40 and a, and a kelsey 30 pretty much um daigle uh corinne mentioned the chiefs defense they're the only defense that's top 12 in schedule adjusted fantasy points to every single position um but we're hoping this game shoots out as i mentioned before they 
Chargers are top 10 in both passing rate over expectation and neutral game pace. Uh, we have seen since Mike Williams injury that Josh Palmer is the clear number two way ahead of uh, Quentin Johnson. Um, and I, I think the big question is with Austin Eckler back, like one, do we trust Josh Palmer? Like we know Keenan Allen's going to do his thing. Do we, can we lean into Josh Palmer shock or we saw Eckler go back to his like pretty, uh, substantial touch roll last week. Not a big fantasy day. I think it's 70 total yards. Um, but is he the one that kind of stands out? If we get like a, a eight or 9% Eckler, is he the one that stands out in this game for you? And these past two weeks, Palmer has just one fewer target than Keenan Allen. Hasn't really been sexy for fantasy mm -hmm. 77 and 60 yards with no touchdowns in that time. So it's not like we're, we have to have them, but just, Given the salary relief he provides, sure, you can definitely go there, and it makes it much easier to fit this game overall. Yeah. I'm still just viewing this game, though, as similar to the Vikings-Chargers game a couple weeks ago, where it's the highest total on the board, and it's one of those situations where if the highest total on the board beats me, I think I just let it beat me. Well, that's kind of where I'm at right now, given, yeah. again, we talked about at the top, where it's so ugly that... One thing, only one thing needs to go wrong. And that's basically that this game is a lower volume game, lower scoring affair, and the rest of the slate's wide open to us. And so that's the kind of the way I'm viewing it right now, especially with all these pieces in, at least for the Chiefs side, rotations being expensive. Uh, also, Chargers and Justin Herbert under Brandon Staley have shown up for these matchups. Even Justin Herbert has averaged 24 fantasy points in his last four starts under Staley against the Chiefs. But the Chiefs defense hasn't been this good in those matchups. Like you already talked about adjusted fantasy points. And so far since week two, since they got Chris Jones back, 13.4 points per game allowed. You look at all the advanced metric stuff, second best in EPA per play and drop back success rate against opposing quarterbacks, third highest rate of pressures they've converted into sacks in that time. And a lot of it is Justin Herbert leading big plays on the field. But even these last two games without Mike Williams, they've just had no pop. They're 28th in yards per play. They Herbert is one of eight on throws 20 yards deep in that time. He's only completed 57% of his passes. And so to me, it's actually easier to paint the narrative of a game that goes under than one that goes over its total. And so that's just how I view it right now. Yeah, I mean, like we said at the top, if this game misses and you lean into another game or another two games and they hit like you are absolutely dancing. Um, I will say, as you mentioned, Chiefs defense has been very good with Chris Jones. A lot of times with these big totals or, or for us to like really exceed these totals that we're hoping for, if we are game stacking this game, it is not it is not like a faux pas to play a defense with even a couple offensive players. A lot of times a, a defense or a special teams touchdown is the reason the number gets way above that total. Um, so I would say, especially on this very unique slate, I would, if you're like using solver or something, I wouldn't exclude like builds that allow a defense with an offensive player from this game. I, I think it could actually, um, Do you mean it going against or with like on the same team. I, I think if you're like going crazy and like onslaughting this game, I think you could, if you, you can do like chiefs expensive, but I mean, if you're playing like three chiefs and their defense and then one, one charger, I think it still makes sense. I've, I've toyed with Eckler and chiefs defense just because again, the yep. running backs are yep. so bad on this slate that I almost feel like I, I need to pay for Eckler's floor because even if he doesn't get to a ceiling, he's still just the safest option that won't fail yeah, us. He, he like does feel very safe. That, 
yeah, like everyone's trying to go Zach Evans, Deontay Foreman. We'll talk about them when we get there. But I mean, Eckler's just so safe and you could still run it back with a cheap Chiefs defense. Yeah, from a cash game perspective, um, value all around, um, especially just from like a, a relative perspective because it's projecting so much higher. Uh, Mahomes, the top two quarterback value on FanDuel. Pacheco, a top five running back value on both sides. Kelsey, the top tight end value on both sides. Rasheed Rice is a viable punt play. Probably not going to use him in cash, but he is popping in FanDuel optimals. Keenan Allen is always going to be a top value. And Josh Palmer at 4,800 on DK is a value as well. Chiefs, 2,400 punt option on dk so lots of cash options here um once we get past that it starts getting ugly very fast the next highest total on the slate is the packers the broncos 45 points packers favored by one and a half on the road this is another 425 game and also a game that should have quite a bit of chalk especially on the packers passing game side um daigle start with you on the packers pass game side broncos bottom three and schedule adjusted points to both quarterback and tight end also last versus um i'm sorry quarterback and running back also last versus tight end uh aaron jones return does he get back on track immediately with what we've seen from um you know a, a very inefficient aj dylan i'm double checking to make sure we got a no we did not get a full practice today that's unfortunate limited. okay um limited on friday he's where i want to pivot to yeah. Like we're only projecting Christian Watson for like 15% max. I think he could go a lot higher than that though. I'm worried he's the player that gets steamed among all this group. Not only mm -hmm. that, but you've done more work to this point on this than me, but I'm struggling to find the cash game quarterback, which kind of makes me think Jordan Love is going to come in higher roster than he's going to come he, in high. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I don't, I do not I, want to yeah. play high roster Jordan Love. There is no right. freaking way. Yeah. Uh, it's just as good a matchup for the Broncos defense because they're playing Jordan Love as it is Jordan Love. So I'd, I'd rather pivot to like the Broncos defense if that's the case. It's not just Jordan Love. It's that he's going to pop his value because the Broncos defense is so bad. Tight end is just a shit show. So I don't know if we yeah. have a... a Musgrave is going to get... Oh, yeah, Michael Musgrave's Mayer gonna, actually will probably get played. Yeah, I think Mus Musgrave's going to get played. Um, I mean, Dobbs is cheap on, on DK. Christian Watson, like you said, people are just going to like see that against this Denver defense. So... Um, I think it's going to be pretty tough. I would be very surprised if we get any of these players I, like at single digits this week. Aaron Jones, not only the pivot, but since he has the ceiling, we saw it at least in week one, the last time we saw him at full health. That's one of my five players I want to play at running back this mm -hmm. week. Uh, if only to get off of Jordan Love too. Broncos, not only the only defense allowing over 30 points per game, to opposing running backs and they're allowing 32 they're also yeah. one of only three defenses allowing over 40 catches that have allowed 40 catches so far to opposing running backs so it kind of just works well with aaron jones skill set that we cross our yeah. fingers and take a chance on his ceiling here so given just given the context of his position that's where i want to go to over jordan love i do i do have faith in christian watson i think christian watson's a great play but yeah. I, there are a lot of options at wide receiver here a lot of options i want to spend up for too Actually, a lot of options I trust that are below 4K, which also makes me remove the 4K range of running backs from my pool. So that's kind of the way I'm looking at this slate as a whole right now. Yeah, it's go ahead, Karen. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be playing Jordan Love Chalk either, but I will say like when I look at the slate and I think about like the way I can build out some of these like kind of onslaught type of, of lineups, this game does jump out to me as like, maybe the easiest 
you know, and that probably means that it is going to get steamed. And, and I, I agree. I don't think we're getting like any under the radar plays here, but I don't love the running back chalk. We'll, we'll get to that a little more, but maybe I can get contrarian elsewhere. I bet I roll a, a Jordan Love triple. I, I think I probably end up on a Jordan Love triple stack this week. It's crazy as that is, but it's cheap. I don't know that that will be particularly popular to like to just like bet on love that big. It's like I'm willing to play love and GBPs, but you know, single stacks and double stacks only. Man, you know, yeah. so it, it's only be- it's only because again we lost Aiden O'Connell, so only Tyson Bajan is there as the cash game quarterback. And this is what we saw last yeah. week: is that it, the trickle down happens from cash games to tournaments. And so if Jordan Love is the cheapest, most reliable option, that's where everyone's going to go, and that's going to ruin his tournament exposure. Yeah, but I, I think I, if you over correlate it, won't won't you be able to kind of get unique? Of, you know, Christian yeah. Again, Watson, I play more small field stuff, but I, I agree. But Christian Watson and Luke Musgrave are also going to be cash game options, so yeah, it's true. like everyone's yeah. playing everyone except Aaron Jones in this game. Yeah, I I I, I think I, I lean a little bit like with Crane's point that again, if you're going to like lean into a game this week, go at it hard, and at the very least, even if the whole side is chalky. From a combination standpoint, the the more players you stack in one game or on one team, like the less those combinations are going to exist. Um, so I do like that. What side are you? If we go full game stack, um, do you have a lean on where you want to go between uh, Judy or Sutton? If you are bringing it back, Karen. Well, when I just looked at the profiles, you know, not looking at the DFS salaries. Uh, Judy definitely popped is like a little bit more interesting because he's getting it's weird because he's more of a slot receiver, but uh, he is getting targeted deeper downfield. He has a 12.9 ADOT, Sutton's at 10.7. So Sutton's been more kind of a possession receiver, has been kind of more of like the Michael Thomas in the offense. Um, Judy's not exactly Chris Olave, but he is more of a deeper guy. So if the salaries were even, I would say Judy, but they're not even. And so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely open to Sutton too. I mean, you're kind of like hoping you pick the guy who scores the touchdown. I think honestly. What's the salary differences? Sorry, I don't have them in front of me. Um, I had it. What was it? It's just see. Judy is fifty eight hundred and Sutton's fifty two hundred. Okay. So yeah. it's not a massive gap, but if I, I mean, if I need that six hundred, I would say if if. On, and it's actually flipped on Fandle, but I would say if we're looking at the profile and we prefer Judy, I would assume that if people are stacking this game, that they're, and they, to a lot of people, this is just a coin flip, especially like, you know, the, the Sunday morning um, hand builders. Mm-hmm. I would assume that they just look at the $600 difference, just click Sutton, which would be good for us if we like the Judy side. If Judy's going to come in, because they, I, what I was looking at is they're both going to be pretty low on, but if, if one was going to have ownership and the other wasn't, then I would just go with that guy. Yeah. Like and this, I think, is, this is a situation to just, you know, yeah. go contrarian. And I think Daigle mentioned on the podcast yesterday that like they want to, they want to showcase Judy. They just haven't been able to, right? Like literally, like, get literally, him literally, hurt, get it literally him hurts his trade value the more he plays. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I do think that, that um, any interest in, in the rest side of it for either of you guys? Not really. Man, yeah. it's it's such recency bias. I would love to get there because if it was after the first month, I would have said yes. But man, his last two games, they've been yeah. so bad. Uh, it's almost like they've just lost everything there. 
So no, I don't think I can get there. And loves the one coming off the bye and entering a, a really good matchup. Like that, you know, like if we're looking for a reason to bet on this quarterback who's struggled recently to bounce back, like I know football's random and it certainly could be Russ, but love is the one where it just makes more logical sense. And I feel actually confident in making the bet. Plus yeah, like Christian have- Watson's returns, you know, he, he looked, he was back in a full-time role. Like there's, it's more plausible to me. We have Russ in that like five to 10% range. I could very much see him coming into the low end of that just because so many people would rather play yeah. love and the Broncos uh, against the Broncos. I mean, if the, if the Packers are going to be chalky and everybody's going to play that side and that game gets there, like if the game gets there, Russ yeah. kind of has to play good. Right. So if the, if you're going to play a Christian Watson, like, I mean, or if, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just for you a, doubling a, Russ with the receivers. How are you playing Russ? I think I'd probably single single with a bring back. I think. Yeah. And just hope he gets, they get there with like one of the yeah. track plays or single with single with two bring back single with Watson and Aaron Jones or something like that. I don't know. I have to think about it more, but just from a, a theory perspective, if everybody's playing the Packers side and the slate is ugly and we only need yeah. one game to whiff, like who's like, if he projected well, he'd be shot, right? Like that's the thing about this. Like if he's projecting good and playing good, if he had a good game, his last outing, he's probably 16% this week. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have that much pushback against it. It's probably, I I don't want to do it. (laughs) I like the concept. I I think it's just to take some mental barriers because again, we, we don't know where to stack them. That's kind of always what happened with Patrick Mahomes ownership is that outside of Kelsey, no one knows where to go because you don't have confidence Mm. in anyone. Um, But yeah, when you don't have that primary stack partner, it's tough. Russ is so cheap that it does make sense. And then you can, you know, you can just choose what you do on the other side with green Bay. Yep. Um, yep. Both quarterbacks pretty cheap. Uh, they're both projecting as top two quarterback values on DraftKings. Luke Musgrave, also a top two tight end value on DK. Broncos projections a top three defense value on both sites, but they are priced very low. Um, 3,500 Fandle, 2,600 DK. Um, another game with a relatively decent over under this week is the Rams versus the Steelers. Uh, 44 point over under is relatively high this week. Rams are favored by three with a 23.5 team total. Steelers 20.5 team total. Uh, the obvious question, Corrine, here is with Kyron Williams out. Um, how do they replace him? What does that look like against a defense that's 23rd in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs? Yeah, I mean, like. I don't know how they're going to do this. I don't know if you, people have already probably seen this, but McVeigh was asked if he had a sense of the rotation. He said, I, I have a sense. I do have a sense of that. Yes. And then on, if he was willing to share that sense, he said, no, I will not, not to be rude on that. It's just, there's no reason to share it. Yeah. And then he went on to talk positively about all four running backs that are in the mix. Yeah. Um, my guess is that it'll probably be some kind of rotation and they are going to, figure out which guy they want to use as the, the the primary guy going forward. But would I be shocked if they just like picked Royce Freeman and he had like a 65% snap share and they mixed in Daryl Henderson on some third downs or something like that wouldn't surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me. There's almost nothing that's a good surprise. I guess it was all Zach Evans. That would be surprising, but that's yeah. like, I, <laughs> that's the only thing. 
I think it's a pretty easy fade, especially with how good this passing offense can be. And uh, we obviously know that Puka and Cooper Cup um, have been sharing very big target shares. But you, going back to the to the splash zone targets, um, you had a lot to say about those splash zone targets with this team specifically. And also, uh, you had some really good ideas on how you think this Rams offense can function against the Steelers pass rush. So uh, you want to talk a little bit about how you see that playing out. Yeah, one thing I noted in the walkthrough is that Tyler Higby's been used a lot on screens throughout his career. Um, he had 18% of his targets last year on screens. He's at 3% this season. Kyron Williams is averaging a screen a game, and that could be one of the ways that they adjust things with, with Williams out. Like They don't have to give all of the, the screen game, game opportunity to some newly added running back they could just work Higby back in with some of these plays they've been running for years with him and I think tight end screens are also kind of interesting given that they're dealing with a defense who has a good pass rush you know that's that's what the Steelers really do well on defense um they rank fourth in PFS pass rush grade they're sixth in quick pressure rate and the Steelers or sorry the, the Rams have really hard time protecting they do not have a good offensive line of pass protection um 21st in quick pressure rate. They rank 29th in ESPN's pass block win rate. So they're going to be looking for ways anyway to kind of help Stafford get the ball out quickly. And, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of a random type of thought. But Higby is like maybe slightly more interesting than usual. And then more generally, I think like Tutu would not be the way I would want to play this because he's their deep threat. Puka is more the underneath guy. Puka gets more first reads. You know, if it's a first read, you're going to have a chance to get the ball out quicker getting the ball out quicker and more shallowly will probably be a focus. So Puka looks like he's set up pretty well. Cooper Cup's been used more like a deep threat, not like true, true deep threat, but like, you know, 11.68, I'd I believe. And, you know, that's a little bit deeper downfield, but if they need to like have him run shallower routes, he, he will because he's Cooper Cup. He's the engine of the offense. Like they're not going to, he's going to get his targets, but you know, it does make me, uh, given just how expensive Cup is, it, it makes me somewhat interested in Puka, and you know, Tyler Higby, you know, isn't isn't a terrible player either. Higby makes sense, man. I mean, we basically at at tight at tight end, we need a touchdown basically, and we're there. Um, I, again, a week where we probably want to be doubling, especially if it's a quarterback like Stafford who's going to give you nothing on the ground. And even though the pass game is super concentrated, if you're jamming. Koopa, uh, Koopa, Cooper and, and Puka together, like you need them to hit perfectly because they're so expensive. Like they need to get everything. And that's obviously very hard to do. Um, so, uh, Higby actually makes a lot of sense. Um, on the other side, Daigle, the Rams have been a bit of a pass funnel themselves, but this isn't necessarily the offense that we think can take advantage of what we got news a little bit before the podcast that Pat Fryermuth will be out, but, they are getting Deontay Johnson back. So I don't know if Deontay Johnson necessarily elevates the pass game or does he just kind of um, hurt Pickens, what Pickens had started getting on a, on a roll for. They, Steelers have been so uncreative yeah. whenever they've had both Deontay and Pickens in that I would imagine Pickens just goes back to his useless routes, mm -hmm. uh, only running downfield like week one when he had a 15.5% target share, and he, like Garrett Wilson, has to catch a touchdown in order to return value in fantasy. And the timeline, it's always been this for Deontay Johnson the entire way. Four weeks on IR, get those two extra weeks because the Steelers had a bye week, return in week seven. 
It was never anything different. So it aligns where Deontay Johnson's at full health, at least offering a high floor. It's still going to come down to whoever scores touchdowns. Uh, I fully expect Deontay Johnson to yet again, as he's shown us for three years in a row now, lead the team in targets. Um, and then hopefully he scores a touchdown. But given the way that, again, this total has continued to increase, I think that's the way I like to play it with Deontay, who's getting an injury discount on both sides. Otherwise, like in week one, he was much more expensive, especially in a DraftKings where he offers the PPR floor. And then the other way I would play it is that if we expect the Rams to move the ball since Stafford's been an entirely different quarterback when he's been kept clean, over eight yards per attempt this year, top 10 in the league, um, given how empty running backs are, we've talked about it time and time and again, I, I don't mind dragging Jalen Warren along mm. with Stafford stacks. Uh, Jalen Warren has outscored <laughs> Najee Harris in PPR leagues and every week so far yeah. this year because he gets there on limited touches. So if we think it's going to be negative game script for the Steelers, that's the way I prefer to play it in my runbacks. What's Jalen Warren's salary? I should have had this. He's 5,000 on yes. DraftKings. Yeah, man. I mean, if the only the only player we're playing in that range is um, Deontay Foreman, like, why the hell not? Like, I be That's what if it is. the I mean, the thing about this spot is like again condensed slate from a how the Rams play and how you need Stafford to get there. Intuitively, you want to double Stafford. On the flip side of that, it's like. How, they aren't the Dolphins. They aren't the Bills. They aren't going to drop a 50-burger if they're not getting pushed. So it's like if you're going to play Stafford doubles, it's like you almost have to play a Steelers bring back and hope that like that they do something. Otherwise, like your doubles probably don't get there anyway, right? Like they're just not going to drop 50 if if there's just no pushback from the Steelers, I don't think. Yeah, and I, I, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic on George Pickens. I think Deontay Johnson is, is a pretty good play, but – I think George Pickens has like shown something. Like he's he's got um, he's been double covered a ton. He's in the 94th percentile among wide receivers in double coverage rate. He still has a 2.25 yards per route run, which is awesome, uh, especially for a second year wide receiver. He is seeing a lot of those splash zone targets. Now to Dagle's point, he wasn't last year, and maybe Deontay Johnson kind of pushes him back to those, that boundary role. But like they've got a breakout wide receiver on their hands, and I know we don't think that highly about of Matt of Matt Canada, but Gotta be so dumb to just put Pickens back into go route mode and not use him over the middle of the field like they have with Deontay Johnson out. I think there's a scenario, and, and maybe it's low probability because they're gonna scheme this up, uh, you know, in kind of a silly way. But there is a scenario where Johnson comes back. Johnson gets open at a high rate. He can help the offense move. He can draw a little bit of defensive coverage, and Pickens is still your big play guy and he's getting some of those big play looks more over the middle of the field than he was last year, and that is how this game actually gets there, is that Pickens is hitting big plays where Warren and Deontay Johnson could be symptoms of a struggling, ineffective, you know, Steelers kind of garbage time, you know, you get there with some PPR crap, but I think Pickens is the dude who could, like, make this game fun. Yep. I forgot to mention Puka Nakua tied for fourth in splash zone targets per game. So we could call him Puka Shamua. I hate myself. <laughs> Cooper Cup is a top three overall value on both sides of wide receiver. Puka is a top four FanDuel value. Stafford is a top three FanDuel value. I'm sorry, guys. I can't help myself. High totals, uh, big favorites on the slate. Um, Seahawks 
against the Cardinals, 44 and a half point total. Seahawks favored by seven and a half. Um, Cardinals kind of going in the wrong direction with Dobbs. Let's start on the Seattle side. Daigle, Arizona, bottom 10 in schedule. Just finished points allowed to quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. Last week, we saw a shift in the Seattle offense coming out of their bye. Big news was they got Charles Cross back, and we saw them shift to a very heavy 11 personnel rate. Um, with that being said, against this uh, defense is this a spot where Gino and the pass game gets rolling and can we like really lean into the pass game maybe even JSN especially with Kenneth Walker likely being heavy chalk definitely and like Dolphins Panthers we talked about last week with the five player onslaught and playing Thielen and Chuba Hubbard together I'm I'm in onslaught territory for this game. Marquise Brown's going to be a cash game option because they refuse to budge his salary on either site. But it's just the fact that like Matthew Stafford, Geno Smith has been a completely different quarterback from a clean pocket this year. Fifth highest completion rate um, and fifth highest depth of target from a clean pocket. And now you have this Cardinals defense coming in that can't generate any amount of pressure. And so with DK Metcalf being a true game time decision, I would think that we can placeholder Jackson Smith and Jigba as a cheap option, wondering mm -hmm. how yep. many people will actually late swapped or be willing to understand their pivots like JSN and Trey McBride, then go to Trey McBride instead, right? Yes. Uh, I'd be willing to to placeholder Gino, Ken Walker, Lockett, JSN, run it back with either Marquise Brown or Trey McBride and yeah. play this game that way and try to soak up all the pieces here since we kind of think everyone gets there. Yeah, I, I almost think like, like JSN is definitely probably more of a late swap play. I almost think like, I, I'm not even like, like using it as like a late swap here. I almost think it makes sense to like start builds with Seattle side, throw in a couple of like chalky options with it. And just like, if you need to like pivot, like then you could do it. But I mean, I, I love the Seattle side of this game for all the reasons you JSN, I think what 71% snap share last week, highest of the season. Um, so yeah, I, I love the Seattle side of this game. And are you, uh, I, I even think we could just like roll, Chalky Ken Walker in our Geno stacks. What do you think about? Yeah, that? that's that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> yeah, four, yeah, yeah. four players. Um, yeah, and even if DK plays, given how serious this hip injury sounds, I think I still play JSN because the entire thesis is yeah. like the Cardinals are allowing a league high 10.7 yards per catch to opposing slot receivers, and so even if DK plays, that's where JSN is and this newfound approach out of their buy with a 12th highest pass play rate from three wide sets last week. So, yeah, yeah I kind of like placeholdering Geno, Walker, JSN Lockett either way. Yeah, DK's a tough one because Matt Savoka's right up. He actually had him as our top DFS breakout um, by low player. But um, obviously, if with them coming out like reporting, it, like it's always – it's, it's always hard to trust coach speak, especially when it's Pete Carroll. I think when they're coming out with something negative and saying it's still bothering them, that's always a lot more worrisome, right? If they say it's okay, if there's a chance, like we never know. When they're coming out with negative news, I'm, I'm always kind of like more um, trustworthy. When, when and they say stuff and like by that. the way, uh, speaking of Ken Walker, he's kind of the Raheem Mostert range this week where it sounds like Charbonnet also is a true game time decision. Yeah. So it's a lot like Raheem Mostert where you don't overthink it. Like you eat yeah. 70% and you just play I, him. I, I, does he get like, man, can he get to that 55% we Absolutely. saw from Holster? Yeah, yeah. Holster was like 60% in small field yeah. last yeah. week. Like in, yeah. the, in like the 555, like he was 60% and you still had to have him. Yeah. Yeah. 
I always alligator arm the early projection. And last week I, I, I told myself I would get a little more aggressive with the ownership projection um, come Saturday and I didn't. So I think tomorrow I'll probably have a pretty aggressive ownership on. You just, you just yeah. play them. Like you just yeah. suck it up and play them. Yeah. Um, on the other side, uh, Karen, you mentioned a little bit about Dobbs kind of turning into a pumpkin just in time for Halloween. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm I'm trying to get through the season here. Um, I didn't write that. That's DJ's joke. No, I, I, know, I know. That on the I record. Just... <laughs> um, do we do we see them even against this vulnerable um, Seattle pass defense? And no, Connor. Can we see them um, even still try to go run heavy, considering how Dobbs has been playing uh, the last couple of games? Yeah. So I, I share in the walkthrough one of the charts that I I kind of uh, have throughout the the write-ups is this chart that has four quadrants with expected pass rate and pass rate. So you got teams that are have a really high pass rate and really high expected pass rate. That's kind of your Vikings of the world. They're almost your Panthers, yeah. Giants, teams that are like losing and they but they still pass. Um, the other side of that though are teams like the Falcons, who they're in those negative game scripts all the time, but they they don't care. They're running the ball, and the Cardinals are kind of in that that part of the chart um they are kind of like the bears and the titans and the falcons in that they're generally going to kind of do what they came to do that day and it doesn't matter that much how the game ends up going they're not like they're not really playing to win maybe you know that's that's kind of they're kind of playing to do their thing so they're going to need to be pushed the the thing is i think the seattle side can push them um but I just, yeah, I wouldn't want to play this from the Arizona side. I think mm -hmm. like the Marquise Brown chalk is fine. And I think as a bring back, he's probably even good because, he, you know, he's a downfield guy. He's getting a ton of the target volume. He's now that Zach Ertz has kind of seen his role dry up a lot. He's the only guy that we really even trust to be out there and earn targets. So I have no issues with Marquise Brown, but I, I wouldn't want to play this from the Cardinal side, because I think it really comes down to how much the Seahawks push. I do have some optimism that they will. I think they might be somewhat aggressive in attacking the Cardinals. Um, and so I, I am interested in this, the onslaught ideas that, that Daigle was throwing out there. Can you talk a little bit about why you think um, if we look at Ertz's season-long volume, it's kind of fool's gold at this point? Yeah, I mean, his route participation was down to 52% last week. Um, it was at 83% in week five. Now, he did, he started the season at 91%, dropped to 75%, then dropped to 64% in week three, which is like kind of part time territory. That's pretty sketchy. And at that point, I was like, all right, they're moving to the young team. This is, you know, they're not trying to win right now. You know, they're checking out who their, their young players are and everything that's not what happened. He immediately jumped up to 87% and then 83% the next two weeks, which are like basically elite route participation numbers for a tight end. So it is possible that Ertz jumps back up and sees more run again this week. I don't really get what they're doing, but it would make more sense at this point in the season for them to move to Trey McBride, who saw a lot more route participation last week. Um, so if you've got a guy like Zach Ertz who isn't going to be out there for, we can't, tr we can't trust him to be out there for a full slate of routes this week. His yards per target is 4.4, which is horrendous. Like it, it, yeah. he's not doing anything with the target volume he's getting. And that target volume is going to be harder to get if he's not on the field, obviously. I um, am kind of skeptical of McBride though, because I think it is possible that that maybe they just exactly. go to Ertz. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he's, he's probably not very good I, either. Yeah. But, but the way I look at it is that McBride is the same price as Mayer on DraftKings, and Mayer's playing with Brian Hoyer. So you just ask, like, what could go wrong? Well, that could go wrong. So no one's going to play McBride. If you're playing this game, you just have to play yeah. McBride over Mayer. Yeah. I'm going to throw. I think, um, I think that's viable. I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you guys, go a little bit off script because I think these are all really similar situations and they all happen to be late window games. If we have to pick one of these underdog teams to not just push back, but to trust both sides of the ball, would where how would you rank Broncos, Steelers, and Cardinals? For tournaments? Which, what, yeah, which side do you which of those three teams, which which side would you be most comfortable being on? I would pivot to Steelers if I'm down. Steelers because, for me too. Yeah, no, no one's gonna yeah. no one's gonna play the Steelers side. Interesting. I, I think that yeah. is will be the least popular opinion, which I think probably makes it the right answer. Yeah. Um, I, I like that a lot. Um, the last game with or team with a, a decent total uh, is the Bills, and they're playing the woeful, woeful Patriots. Biggest favor on the slate, eight and a half points, gives the Bills a 24.25 team total in a game where the total is only 40 points. I don't even know if there's much to say about this game, starting with the Bills side, Corinne. Everything is concentrated to Allen and Diggs. Going to get Kincaid on the field more, I guess, again this week. Um, but then we also have a running back committee. So, I mean, I guess the only real question is like, is Allen a very obvious pivot off of Mahomes where they're basically the same salary on both sides, but Mahomes is going to be like, I don't know, five or six times the ownership? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a pretty good pivot. Um Diggs is just, you know, so clearly the guy there. So you can, that's, that's nice. And then I wish the bills would pick one of their tight ends to play all the time. I think the offense would function better that way. And like, it can be Kincaid, pick Kincaid, you know, just get knocks out of there. I don't, I, I included a tweet from Josh Norris where he was pointing out that defenses are playing these two tight end sets like Kincaid is a wide receiver. So they're not, they're not adjusting. They're not getting different looks, which would be like, one of the reasons to do this in the first place. So if that's not happening and Kincaid and Knox are both pretty bad at earning targets, maybe just like stop playing both of them together. Um, unfortunately, they probably will kind of split a role, which is annoying because the way that I would want to play this is just like tap on the cheap tight end. And that takes care of tight end on a slate where that's hard to do. Yep. And, and cheaply. And then I get digs, Allen, I get some, I get high upside. Maybe I bring it back with Kendrick Bourne. I mean, that would be fun, but I don't know about how to play it with the, with the tight end. I, I, maybe I run a couple and just pick, pick Knox in one and Kincaid in the other. I don't know. Yeah. It's always, I mean, it's not always typically top 1% lineups flex tight end less than the field. The field doesn't weigh too much. I, I would probably say with such a short slate and with running back being so bad, I might toy with some more tight end in the flex than I might typically do. So like, you know, and I think if you're doing that, it's probably because you have Kelsey in your lineup, probably. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I think there are some double tight end builds that might be interesting. If you're, if you are playing like, you know, if you're trying to jam in, Kelsey with Josh Allen for some reason. I don't even know if that, how that works with salary, but if, I'm assuming if you could do Mahomes and Kelsey, you could do Josh Allen and Kelsey. Um, so maybe that's something like that as a way to get huh. unique. Um, on the Patriots side, Daigle, I just put a shrug emoji. 
Oh, it's it's self-explanatory. Like you have to have Juju and Demario Douglas out to play Kendrick Bourne. Um, that's how he got there with a the 35% target share last week because literally they had no other receivers. Yeah. And if you want to sneak in Mike Jasicki, you have been to so have much him. better than that. Can't they just play him? No, just that's play not him. How coaching better. Have you not seen an NFL game this year? Like, no, nothing fun is allowed. Just play your best players. Game, it is the no fun league for a reason. Uh, and then if Hunter Henry <laughs> is out, you play Mike Jasicki as a cheap pivot. So you just that I that injuries. I like actually. You just yeah. need those injury situations to shake out for you. All of them are game time decisions. Take it down to the wire. Yeah, I think the theme so far is um, if you aren't playing Kelsey or maybe even Andrews, like correlate your tight end. Uh, just your cheap tight that. end. Yeah. Yeah, you're cheap tight end. Um, I kind of like top- if if Henry, sorry, but if Henry's out, I kind of like going uh, Allen Diggs Gasicki, and then mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with this Bill stuff, and I just get the Alpha Diggs game. I also I like that. Um, I don't mind Latavius Murray. Like if you're trying to play 4K Zach Ooh, Evans, just go to just go to four three Latavius Murray. Like he started the game. Yeah. Uh, they clearly don't want James Cook to be an every down back. Murray handled all three carries inside the 10-yard line, and I know that for a fact because I had a plus 1,100 first touchdown bet on him, and he couldn't get inside the goal line of those three carries. So, yeah, I mean, Murray's just right there for cheap as a higher touchdown equity guy than Zach Evans if you want to go that route. Yeah. I think that's a tough click in large field. I think in small field, like, absolutely. Um, no, just wait, just wait until I click Daryl Henderson on FanDuel because he's only 4,100. Oh, about tough click. Oh, God. Um, outside of the games that we've discussed, I, I think the only like other obvious game is, uh, I guess lions and Ravens, but even that total is quite low. Um, we have Washington and New York. We have, um, uh, Las Vegas and Chicago, uh, Atlanta and Buc- and Tampa Bay, Cleveland and Indy. Uh, lots of backup quarterbacks, lots of very low projections. Um, Dago, outside of the games we discussed, do any of those pop to you as anything, even if it's just like one-offs that seem interesting to you? It's the weather, the wind in particular, and the Ravens lines and Commanders Giants that I'm kind of looking to uh-huh. because the Commanders Giants is, is kind of interesting, actually. Uh, yeah. Uh, great. I'm sneaking Tyrod Taylor as a last year on pick into some of my battle Royals this week, because nice. we've seen like every, in every game since week two, the commanders have allowed a top 12 quarterback. They're fourth in yards per attempt. They've allowed the eighth highest rate of explosives passes in that time. And we know where the ball is going to go to like the giants. If you didn't make it through that game, I don't blame you. Don't watch, don't watch that Sunday night game between the bills and giants. It was awful, but the giants like reshuffled their three wide sets and eliminated everybody. They're like Isaiah Hodgins, 11 routes. You don't matter. Sterling Shepard, zero routes. You don't matter. And Paris Campbell, healthy scratch. We're only running Darius Slayton, 87% route participation. And then Jalen Hyatt and Wondell Robinson, 73, 72%. And now like you have Darius Slayton here, who's going to be on the field. The commanders have allowed over a hundred yard receiver in every game, at least one since week two. They're allowing a league high 11 and a half yards per catch from the boundary where Darius Slayton leads the team and routes run. And so, and from Tyrod last week, 60% of his targets came 20 yards downfield. So it's like Darius Slayton actually is pretty sneaky on this slate. I kind of want the game environment. Brian Robinson's in my in my pool as well. We were all over Logan Thomas as a cash game option, and now no one wants to play him after a single one-target outing. So I can kind of see myself skinny stacking this game. Yeah, I mean, it, especially against that Washington defense, I mean, it makes sense. It's Do we so have- bad. Do we have any clarity on Daniel Jones with his limited practice today? 
Well, I was gonna say, Daigle, you gotta in the in the battle royale. Matter, the move care? is to would you draft Daniel Jones at battle royale because yeah. then if he gets ruled out, you can get Tyrod swapped in. You can't get Tyrod swapped out if you draft Tyrod. That's, That's true. A little, a little tip. That's actually point. yeah. There you go. That's smart. Coming from the two um, two millionaire, you're right. I should be doing that. <laughs> little game theory. Uh, Crane. I mean, the guy was your cover boy, so I think I know what game you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean. The weather will be something to keep an eye on, as Daigle mentioned there, for the, the Baltimore and the Lions game. And this is not a great matchup for the Lions. Like the, the Ravens defense, I have some some real respect for. I think they're a very good defense. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the concern. Um, potential weather issues, and they have a tough matchup. But you've got a, a Lions offense that has been really run-heavy especially when they've been playing from ahead. But I really do have a lot of respect for Dan Campbell and the way they run that team. He wants to run the ball. He wants to ground and pound, but he is not like Arthur Smith, where that's the only thing he's going to do. Like they're trying to win games. And last year and, and the year before we saw that they would go really, really pass heavy. They were kind of the like they used to play like the Vikings where teams would just put up a ton of points against them and they would, they would chase. They would they would try to win those games. They would pass a lot. When they lost David Montgomery last week, we saw them go very pass-heavy and from a position of strength. They were controlling the game, but they were putting the putting it on Jared Goff's shoulders, and that worked. And I don't think that they're going to – I mean, they're talking about how Jameer Gibbs needs to kind of shoulder the load this week, but, like, I don't think that's going to be as a rusher. You know, they're not just going to load him up with like kind of between the tackles carries. Like that's not why they drafted him. They drafted him as, as a receiving weapon, clearly. So I think that we're going to see a lot of uh, – we're going to see a bit of a different Lions team than we have for a lot of this season where they're actually going to pass maybe not super aggressively, but they're I think they're going to run their offense through Jared Goff. And we've, we've got a history of them being passed first on first down. Um and so not so much this year again, but but a lot last year, same play caller. So I think that they're going to just be smart in the way they attack this with the, the injuries that they have in the backfield. And I also think that the Ravens maybe could be a little bit sneaky and they could they could kind of come to play in, in a similar way where we actually get some passing volume in this game. So the salary stuff, uh, when God, like I wish golf was a little cheaper, to be honest. Um, I don't think he's like an absolute smash on DraftKings 6,400 or anything, but he's definitely still interesting to me. I want to play that through Amon Ra. I, I think that it's going to be the type of game where we're getting like him consistently moving the ball downfield. It's like that high success rate stuff. And Jameson Williams is kind of helping us make that more possible because he's helping open up the field, but we want to play it through Goff being Goff and, and moving the ball downfield through through Amon Ra and and maybe Laporta, but but Amon Ra is the guy who jumps out to me the most. I would play I would play Gibbs with Goff too. I'm comfortable. I like with that too. Goff. That's the yeah, way I'm like kind of viewing it. And then also you can do that because Andrews works as a blocker for Sam Laporta. You don't feel the need to then roster Sam Laporta because you have the other side using your tight end in that game. That's kind of how I've been viewing it too. I like that. Yeah, um, the the nice thing, even though the the point projection isn't high on this game, um, we are getting um, some narrowed touch and target shares. Obviously, with the David Montgomery injury, we'd hope things um, narrow to Jameer Gibbs a little bit. And on the Ravens side, we've seen targets 
basically like it's Mark Andrews and Zay Flowers. Um, it's 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 them two and no one else, um, which is very good if we are trying to stack this game. Uh, we really encourage. We you. already have evidence too. Like we have week three without David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, who practiced in full on Friday. I thought that was massive. I was waiting for that all week. Seventy-two um, percent of the team's backfield touches, eighteen touches to Craig Reynolds four, and twenty routes to Craig Reynolds eight on a, yep. on a route of fifty-four percent of dropbacks. So we've already seen the every down usage basically whenever Montgomery's out of the lineup for Gibbs. Yep, and four weeks um, later into his rookie season, which bodes well for that um, yep. even more. Um, outside of the games that we mentioned, players projecting well, fringe cash game plays or cash game plays. On DraftKings, Josh Jacobs, Deontay Foreman with Roshan Johnson out, Curtis Samuel and Zay Flowers are projecting well on FanDuel. Lamar, Jacobs, Gibbs, Foreman, Bijan, and Zay Flowers are projecting very well. Um, from an ownership perspective, uh, guys that we are expecting to be very, very popular this week. We got uh, Mahomes and Love at quarterback, uh, Cup and Palmer at wide receiver, Jacobs, Walker, Pacheco at uh, running back, Kelsey and Musgrave at tight end. Crane, any of those guys stand out to you as chalk that you want to be fading or leaning into? Yeah, I mean, Daigle actually got me a little bit more open to the idea of just eating the Walker chalk, but he doesn't seem like great chalk to me just because like he's kind of a boom bust runner. I think Seattle could play things somewhat aggressively through the passing game. Um, he's going to get the touchdowns if they run in close. So that's tough to fade. And he is good. He's just, he, you know, he, he's not like the most consistent guy and he doesn't have a ton of work in the passing game. So he's more fragile than you would think from the amount of chalk that he's, you know, for the for the level he's going to be played, he, the, he's way more fragile than you would expect, which makes me want to fade him. But it's a little scary. Pacheco's the easier one. And and I think making sure that I have some kind of contrarian running back ideas this week, or at least not just like eating the, all the running back chalk is going to be an important part of this slate because this isn't super strong running back chalk. Yeah. My counter to the, to the fragility there is that they came out of the buy the Seahawks did and gave Walker a bigger touch share and more touches. Um, and Jack, Zach Charbonnet, um, you know, seems to have fallen out of favor a little bit. I'm not sure why. Um, but I mean, if he this looks game, good. he looks like, yeah, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I could see Walker, um, also, just really also with uh, with an eight point lead this year, the Seahawks have the third highest run play rate. Like they pretty much when they get a lead, they've just been padding it with the running backs. And, you know, if Charbonnet's a game time decision, it's only Ken Walker. I, I agree. That's the way I looked at it at the beginning of the week, Pat, was boom or bust. Um, but man, it, it just, I think the stars are aligning to where you just, yeah. No, it's scary. It definitely scares me. It's just like, if he's like 60% or something, like he is more fragile than you would think for a 60%. Oh, I agree. I completely yeah, agree. Play running, um, you know. uh, but then uh, I think it goes back to the, the context of the running backs and it's like, yeah, I mean, who else? Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything stand out for you, Daigle is, as any chalk that you want to be on or off of. I think Zach Evans is the biggest, like zero out of your player pool for me. Sure. Uh, you don't need it. If we yeah. needed it, like last week, Chuba Hubbard, we needed to get up to a few spots, especially the Dolphins offense. Um, then you play it, but, but, Again, I like so many cheap receivers. You know, JSN we talked mm -hmm. about, Darius Slayton, Elijah Moore's there. Uh, the list goes on. So I think those receivers have a much higher ceiling than getting to 4K Zach Evans. That's why I feel like I don't need them. 
Yeah, for me, if I'm playing Kelsey and Mahomes, like I'm I'm just probably just trying to go crazy onslaught that game, however I could do it. Like if if they lap the field, hopefully that game just goes absolutely bonkers and I'm just throwing in random cheap players there. But um if I lose to Jordan Love chalk, then so be it. Um, you know, I that's just the one there. I'm I'm not uh I'm not trying to uh get frisky on how to get unique in that game too much. Uh, before we get on to our favorite plays at each position, I want to remind everybody about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. You can go to prizepicks.com slash DFSMVP and use the code DFSMVP for a first deposit match up to $100. A few plays that stand out to us this week. At prize picks, DeAndre Swift is projected for 61 and a half rush yards. If you look at our guys, Ryan Noonan and Connor Allen, they like him for more than 61 and a half rush yards. As Daigle mentioned, Kendrick Bourne, nice target share last week, 37 and a half receiving yards. We like him for more. And as Corain mentioned, Hopefully we see Kincaid get a little more involved this week, which would mean Dawson Knox at 19 and a half receiving yards. We like him for less than 19 and a half receiving yards. $25 entry on that three-player pick them. We'll five extra money. Don't forget to go to pricepicks.com slash DFS MVP. Use the code DFS MVP and get that first deposit match up to $100. Price picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. Let's get onto it at quarterback. Karain, starting with you. Who do you like this week? Um, well, yeah, Jared Goff, I think is, is mm -hmm. pretty interesting. And I don't, I think I'm going to be maybe going against some projections here. It's just like a little bit more of a field play. Um, and I'll probably do some other stuff. Like I want to onslaught some of these, these other onslaught ideas that we had are, are kind of interesting too, but I do want to have at least one Goff lineup. Um, it's just kind of a bet that these teams can, can push each other. Like, the Seahawks and the Lions have have had this kind of deal worked out where they they just have they just push each other nicely, and this strikes me as maybe a a similar similarly aligned um, duo of teams where we can get them pushing each other. I think the Ravens have a little bit of untapped potential uh, in their passing game as well. So and then I mean I love the the Goth Gibbs Amon Ra Andrews. I mean that's that's Pretty very hot. fun. Yeah, that's hot. So I think I, I think I'm doing that, and then I'll figure out you know what what goes with it. But there that's, are there are a couple line. a couple dog bowl entries. I already have that. Don't worry. Oh, been, okay. Been, I'll been see you in Miami. Back. Yeah. The, the only there's no quarterback with a ceiling, uh, based on our uh, Matt's focus ceiling projections, with a higher ceiling projection on the main slate. Um, that has a lower ownership projection. So everybody with projecting with the higher ceiling is more expensive and has higher ownership than Jared Goff. Um, so I think that actually translates to a very good, very good tournament play. Uh, Daigle, who's your favorite quarterback of the week? Geno Smith is one of my tournament options for sure. Again, onslaughting that game, maybe even using six players from that game. If you want to play McBride and Marquise Brown running back the Seahawks options. Uh, yeah. And just the fact that Geno Smith to me is on equal terms right now as a cash game quarterback with Jordan Love. I'm still trying mm -hmm. to parse through it. We'll see where the market goes and which environment I think is better at the end of the day. But yeah, Geno Smith should definitely be in our pool. He'll definitely be in my three max pool. 
Uh, Gino's my favorite tournament quarterback play of the week. Um, if we're looking at cash games, I mean, if you're not paying up for Mahomes, Jordan Love is just the one that stands out. Him and yeah. Russ basically projecting for similar um, value scores on both sites. But um, I think if we're going to look at the floor, the floor is going to be higher when you're playing against that Denver defense at running back crane. We didn't talk about this play or this game much at all, um, but kind of chalky player that busted last week. But if he scores his one yard touchdown, we're not saying he was a bad play last week. Yeah. Deontay Foreman. I just want to mention um, again, he's not like that great of a play, but no one's that great of a play this week and he's cheap. We literally just ran him as chalk. Um, And this Bears team is like gonna run the ball. Like they're definitely gonna run the ball. Yeah. They're not gonna have Bajan drop back a ton. And are they gonna be pushed off running the ball by Brian Hoyer or Aiden O'Connell? Like they might Foreman might get a bunch of work, and the Raiders defense is not good. Yeah. So it's, you know, if he doesn't get scripted out, like I don't know. I mean, if I I was surprised to see that he's not really expected to catch any ownership because if he was, I wouldn't have much interest. He's not a great play, but yeah, I have, we haven't, um, after the Roshan news came out, I haven't adjusted ownership yet. Okay. I I think a lot of people will feel snake bitten by him from last week. Um, I don't think he'll be like 20%. I think people will start building around the Chiefs, start building around some of these more expensive players and just be kind of like, I guess I kind of have to click them um, unless we get something that opens up a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I don't see him getting like out of control. So um, I mean, 16 touches last week. And again, he had to carry at the one. If he falls in, we're like, he's probably 30%. So maybe it's a good thing that he had a bad game last week. Uh, Daigle, who's your guy? We've talked about him throughout the show. And again, I was really waiting for that full participation and practice and we got it on Friday. So I'm going to Jameer Gibbs, whether it be standalone across from Lamar Stacks, whether it be with golf, uh, I have a lot of confidence in Gibbs this week. Um, the number the number one value across all positions on both sites is Ken Walker. Um, as I mentioned, like probably going to have to get aggressive on that Ken Walker ownership just because the slate is so short. But in cash games, uh, just hit the lock button on him. Corrine, um I mean, we've basically been talking against you this whole time on this one. So uh, talk us through your wide receiver play. Yeah, Christian Watson, you know, I know we're talking about, like, he's going to be chalky and it's Jordan Love stuff. And, you know, we, we don't want that. But, like, and and I, the other thing is I do think that he is probably going to get steams. Christian Watson does strike me. Okay. Like, like, he immediate, I immediately gravitated to him at this, you know, this current projected ownership. So this probably doesn't hold and we all we all get really excited about him but like we're we're struggling to find ceiling uh on this slate which struggling to find any plays that we really feel excited about watson had an 85 percent route participation in week five that's before their buy coming out of the buy now um you know we don't have any health concerns he had a 24 percent targets per route run uh in week five Showing the ability to earn targets. He also earns targets really deep. He's got a 20.5 ADOT. That's super deep. Um, and this is one of these big splash zone guys. He's in the 99th percentile in splash zone target rate. Uh, he, he sees deep targets, but not just along the sidelines, deep down the middle of the field. Um, he's being set up for big, big gains on his targets. 
and he plays a horrible Broncos defense. So, like, I'm in, I'm into it. You're going to have to push me off him with a lot of chalk. I think I want I want to play Christian Watson this week. If everyone is kind of yeah, he's a good play, then I'll I'll be overweight. If if yeah. he becomes mega chalk, then I guess I'm going to have to go find something. The only reason I could like. I don't think there's any way he comes in at single digit. The only reason I think he could stay in the mid to low teens is one, because Musgrave's going to be popular as well. And I don't know how much people want to double love. Two, his salary is kind of funky. Like 56 is a weird salary. I don't know if that's enough to deter people, but 56 just always feels kind of awkward when you're building. So we'll see how that plays out. That feels cheap to me for what he. Yeah, can. yeah, it is cheap. Yeah. It's just weird when you get to building and you know around a lot of people like studs and duds and stuff. Um, yeah. Fifty six is a weird salary. Um, Daigle, uh, you briefly actually you didn't briefly touch on this game. You touched on this game uh, a, a couple times, but uh, what what wide receiver do you like here? I think Darius Slayton is my favorite little cheapy option. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a handful of guys: Slayton, JSN. If you want to go to Jalen Hyatt, you can try that out at Stone Men on both sides too. Although I think I prefer Hyatt on FanDuel because uh, that difference of salary is easier than him on DraftKings over Slayton. But yeah, Slayton, for all the reasons I mentioned, just the guy who's on the field the most at the ideal position against the Commanders. Uh, The Commanders, which have just leaked fantasy points to opposing wide receiver ones. And the fact that he gets all his targets downfield from Tyrod, who was good. I think it's a really good situation. We have a really good projection on Curtis Samuel, and that often lines up um, with the industry by Sunday. Not saying anybody's looking at four four projections and changing things, but coincidentally, we're often early on these things. Um, but Curtis Samuel is projecting very well at four K. Darius Slayton at thirty seven hundred. If if we get a a nine percent Curtis Samuel and a one percent Slayton at basically the same salary in the same game, um, that is now, a good thing. No one's playing Slayton but me. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah okay point point <laughs> one for all on myself but that's okay <laughs> um joshua palmer at 4800 on dk is probably like one our cash game lock at wide receiver um just you know the guys that we're mentioning are pretty obvious cash games so let's move on to tight end because i think we can have some fun at the position this week if kelsey doesn't get there um it's basically a touchdown Karain, who finds the end zone for you at tight end i'm gonna say michael mayer who at this point in time, doesn't seem like he's going to be massive chalk because we have the Musgrave stuff. Right. So I'm, you know, he's kind of helped out by that. Yep. Um, certainly, if that changes, I would be less interested. But he's cheaper. He's twenty seven hundred. I feel a lot better about Mayer than McBride, just because, like, I mean, Mayer was kind of already above McBride in terms of his um, his playing time, and he's in this this upward trajectory. I really liked Mayer as a prospect. Uh, he was super productive, three-year guy, was not all that athletic coming out, but his athleticism looks a lot like Mark Andrews. Like he he was sufficiently athletic to be an NFL star still. It's not ideal. You would prefer that he's a hyper-athlete like a Sam Laporta, but he he's probably good enough. And now we're seeing him get ramped up. You know, I'm dealing with a backup quarterback. I'm dealing with a tight end where I don't have full confidence that he'll be out there all the time. So it's not the best play ever, but he's 2,700 and I'm just hoping for a touchdown and I'm not fading a lot on this slate outside of, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, who's super expensive. I think Mark Andrews is a good play as well, but uh, it certainly could make me pay for, for trying to punt the position. But as far as punts go, Michael Mayer looks pretty good. 
Yeah, I don't see any way Mayer gets out of the the single digits, even if every industry tout talks them up. If Kelsey and Musgrave combine for like say 35 to 45 percent, there's only depending on how heavy people go on tight end or if people play tight end flexes, like 70% to go across 18 tight ends. So just from a math equation standpoint, it's just going to be really hard for any other guys to get um, get much ownership with with Kelsey and Musgrave taking up so much of it. Uh, Daigle, back to your Giants-Commanders game. Uh, considering Logan Thomas was you know a cash game option mm-hmm. just last week yeah. and then came in with one target, you can easily go back. These are the situations I love because Terry McLaurin's not going to soak up a 52% target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then Logan Thomas is only two full games this year where he's not been injured. Uh, 27.5% of the team's targets and 23%. So I just don't mind going back to it if you want to get a little sneaky at a still what is a cheap price for him. Yeah, and not only is he cheap, but he's basically a perfect price pivot off of Luke Musgrave. Two hundred dollar yep. difference on both sides there. I actually love that call a lot. Um, Luke Musgrave, chalk tight end outside of Kelsey. Um, he's going to be our cash game uh, play this week. Broncos are last in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. DST, Karain, talk to me. Uh. Yeah, I said the Patriots. They're cheap, and Josh Allen sometimes makes mistakes. That's it. That's the whole. The whole no, spiel. hey, it works. I mean, we Josh Allen does sometimes make mistakes. Josh Allen, I, I I said earlier in the year, like Josh, watching Josh Allen play, it feels like when you're like really high, and someone tells you not to look down, and you look down, like that that jump you get. That's how I feel <laughs> when I watch Josh Allen play. <laughs> And he's dealing with that uh, elbow. And he's my favorite player in the league. And that's how. Yeah, you love him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's dealing with the elbow injury as well. Cleared in practice, but still dealing with it. And then also, like, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but he doesn't have more than six carries in any game this year. They, like, took all the rushing juice away, which also makes me question his ceiling on this slate. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, Daigle. Uh, we talked about this defense a long time ago, and I mentioned that you can stack them with their offense. Oh, the, the Chiefs were priced as if like the Chargers are some potent machine whenever mm-hmm. like they've lacked so much pop this year. So Chiefs, no one scored more than 20 points against them with Chris Jones in the lineup so far this year. I think they're just too cheap given the situation. Yeah, in these spots, I just almost don't even care about the game total or like right. the projection. They're five and a half point favorites and they're $2,400. Like what? Like let, yes, they're absolutely a play. Um, the giants are the chalk defense on both sides. They're just super cheap um, against Washington. That's just giving They're on pace for what? 98 sacks or something crazy like that. Um, so just play the giants. And that does it uh, for the week seven DFS, DFS MVP. Appreciate all of you listening on your favorite podcast platform please give us a five star rating and review it's the easiest way to give back to the podcast if you're watching on youtube please like the video please subscribe to the channel and make sure you hit the notification button so you know when we are going live in the youtube description links to sign up for everything including our discord server including Karen's legendary upside promo code youtube gets you 25 percent off the 444 subscription and links to upgrade to the solver once you are signed up for the 444 dfs plan as a reminder to everybody Karen, plug everything you got going over at leg up yeah legendaryupside.com you can check out the walkthrough uh you can also listen to a narrated version that i do of the walkthrough 
Um, so you can listen to it on the go. A lot of information packed into just a couple days before we kick off. So, you know, that can be a helpful way to do it. Um, you can also check out the first couple games for free over at Legendary Upside that's above the paywall. And I do a free uh, preview version of the narration as well on the Legendary Upside podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So, uh, premium subscribers get a, get a private podcast link, but there is a free preview publicly available as well. If you aren't going to see Killers of the Flower Moon tonight, you can just kill those three and a half hours from the audio version <laughs> of the walkthrough. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. You, I, I will uh, race to see which one finishes first. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be the walkthrough. <laughs> Corsese's got nothing on the walkthrough. Yeah. Uh, Sunday morning, Daigle and I will be in the Sunday morning Discord at 11 a.m. Eastern. Between now and then, you could follow all of us at X slash Twitter. Crane is at Pat Crane. Legendary Upside is at Legendary Upside. Daigle is at Not J. Daigle 444 is at 444 Football. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We will talk to you guys on Sunday morning. <laughs>